are you willing to settle for being resentful for another week or a month or, you know, three months because you decided that, Hey, I like the idea of resolving this conflict more than actually having that closure. You're listening to the happy doc student podcast, a podcast dedicated to providing clarity to the often mysterious doctoral process. Do you feel like you're losing your mind? Let me and my guests show you how to put more joy in your journey and graduate with your sanity, health, and relationships intact. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Frederick, and this is episode 64. In this episode, I welcome Dr. Jerry Fu. Jerry holds a Doctor of Pharmacy degree from the University of Tennessee, Memphis. Prior to starting his coaching business, he served as a pharmacist and facilitated leadership workshops. As a conflict resolution coach, Jerry helps Asian American leaders deal with the conflict they encounter at work, with their culture, and within themselves so they can advance in their careers and life journeys. Today, he offers a range of coaching services, including individual coaching, group workshops, and keynote presentations. He has appeared on over 60 podcasts and plans to appear in plenty more. Jerry, welcome to the show. Hey, other. Thanks for having me. I've really been looking forward to today's conversation because, true confession, conflict is pretty much one of my least favorite things in the world. I mean, it's right up there with spiders. It's it's something I don't seek. It's probably something I can even go so far to say I avoid. Yeah, I've been there too. In fact, I still like to avoid it. <laughs> the difference is uh, knowing what you have to do, whether you have a system in place or developing a new habit to compensate for that avoidance. I listened to some of your podcasts and reviewed your website before we hopped on today's call and just kind of uh, reflecting why is conflict something that just is so uncomfortable for me? And I had this realization, if I had more confidence Mm -hmm. about how to navigate these conversations, I probably wouldn't have so much fear was one Mm -hmm. thing I thought about. And then secondly, I found it fascinating that you tend to focus on the Asian American leader and how some of the characteristics I heard you talk about on other podcasts really seem to resonate with my experience of people who are in doctoral programs. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of overlap for sure. So tell us, how did you get into wanting to help people navigate difficult conversations? And then you're going to share a framework with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So part of my background is, yeah, growing up in a conflict-diverse household where authority is top-down and you don't question. Similar to academic settings, right, where if it's the department chair, hey, you know, he's got the title, you don't have a lot of leverage. What if you are the faculty chair and you don't leverage the authority given to you when the student is underperforming or things like that? So that's the irony is, right, that even if you have that leverage, if you don't act with authority knowing how to use that well. It's like, hey, you might have the best power drill in the world, but if you don't use it with confidence, if you haven't practiced with it, it's not going to help you. And so between being in a conflict-averse household, my mom pretty much would you know, downplay any conflict or even lie to the point where if that's what it took to just get out of a tough conversation. Then I'm in uh, customer service situations in retail pharmacy where pretty much you know, if you 
tried to stand your ground against a patient or a customer who is being unreasonable. They just go above your head and, you know, management would say, look, I don't want to deal with this. Just placate them. And then you, you're just like, what do I, what am I living for? I don't feel like I, you know, have any kind of authority or leverage to really feel good about myself, knowing that I was true to myself and what I believe is correct. And then when I stepped into leadership positions and I realized very quickly that avoiding problems didn't make them go away. You have two ways of dealing with the problem. Either you can avoid it and create distance to the point where it doesn't affect you. Uh, but that trajectory of that approach means you're not going to be uh, in a lot of good community. You're going to be alone if you just keep running from problems, right? The other option is to try and engage and you're going to fail a couple of times. And if you have the confidence that the routine that you develop for yourself is ultimately going to yield dividends after enough study and adjustments, you're going to have a lot stronger relationships and you're going to be a lot happier knowing that you were able to push through whatever immediate, imminent, proximal stress is right in front of you. Right. And so it's, it's the classic journey of saying, hey, conflict is one of my greatest struggles and now has become one of my greatest fascinations. Whether I chose it or it chose me, uh, through personal and professional experiences, I am happy to turn around and dedicate my career to helping people have clarity in their steps and the confidence to do it and to experience that closure. And there's nothing like it, Heather, once you're on the other side, I promise you. And, you know, this conversation is just so timely because I'm taking an online leadership course. And one of the characteristics of a great leader was someone who did not avoid conflict. And I thought, oh, no, <laughs> that's that's where I need some help. So, Jerry, how do you walk people through? Would you be willing to share your framework with us? How do oh, we how do we manage? How do we navigate these hard conversations? Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. So. The framework that's kind of been refined over time and experience that I've coached the people through, that's five steps. Number one is to imagine what a successful conversation would sound like. So in my pharmacy work settings, let's say a technician mistypes a prescription and I think, oh, you know, I, I don't want to hurt her feelings, but maybe it could be as easy as, hey, uh, I saw that you did this. Could you not do this? And they say, oh yeah, sorry about that. Maybe it could be that easy, right? But you don't know. You could also kind of bookend it and say, okay, well, if they push back a little or they get defensive, it's like, okay, how do I anticipate that? How do I, how would I respond to that? So you start to kind of give yourself, number one, you give yourself permission to believe that, hey, maybe this could go really, really well. And even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't quite go according to plan, hey, you know what? I'm glad that I could be honest with them because that's the key to any healthy relationship is honesty. So yeah, that's one part. So that first step is pausing, because I know a lot of difficult conversations, especially when you're going through a, a doctoral program, seem to happen mm. maybe on the fly. Mm. It sounds like this first step is a reflective one where you take a moment to envision. I love that you said, give yourself permission. How could this turn out in the best way possible for everyone involved? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? In these moments where we want to go quick, and there's times for that, but in this case, what if you slowed down and thought about, well, hey, maybe maybe we dream a little bit just for a second to say, hey, you know what, this could be really this could be really helpful, and we remember the benefit that, hey, you know what, if I address this now, I don't have to address it again. Ideally, well, at least they know it's on the table. So we've got step one. You're going to envision the outcome mm -hmm. you would like to see. Mm -hmm. And then what do we do for step two? Step two is to find 10 seconds of courage to initiate that conversation. 
too often people think they need to have a full superhero costume on before they, you know, charge in. They got to get the cape on and the, and the leotard and they think, okay, but that may take you three months. That may take you six months. And by then the whole thing, the whole building would have burned down, right? Like there's this active fire going. You're like, well, I don't have my costume on. And you're trying to get the costume on. And then you're like, finally, it's ready. It's like the building is already burnt to the ground. And so by stretching yourself 10 seconds of courage, right? Some books call it shrinking the change, atomic habits, uh, a lot of things. They say, what's the next small actionable step? And so if you're saying for 10 seconds, I'm willing to send that text, send that email, pick up the phone. Hey, you know what? For 10 seconds, I could do that. Okay, 10 seconds, I can be brave. And so the, the great thing about this is that it sets things into motion and then you lock the gate behind you because now you're like, oh crap, I can't go back because if you hesitate at all, right? You, you lose. And so you need to just kind of trick yourself into moving forward and saying, okay, all right. Oh no, everything in me wants to avoid this, but I locked the gate behind me. So I can't go back to hiding and saying, oh, hey, false alarm. Yeah. Disregard my text. That's not going to look good for you. So 10 seconds of courage. Yes. Okay. So you've got your, your vision. Mm-hmm. You muster up those 10 seconds of courage. Mm-hmm. And then step three. Step three is to script your critical moves. And so Scripting critical moves means, hey, don't just let things rattle around in your head of everything that you want to address because you might forget something in the moment, especially if you're panicking, you're not focused, right? You're probably going to forget something important. So the next best thing is just to write it down on paper, get your thoughts out of your head onto paper. And then, hey, now that you've gotten some more objective perspective on this, hey, start to organize your thoughts. Let's go ahead and catalog everything you want to mention. Maybe you cut out the unnecessary frivolous things and you focus on what's essential and you put them in a logical order, a logical flow. And now you have kind of like your script that you need to uh, refer to. So now that helps you, you know, don't let things rattle around in here and you get worried and anxious trying to account for everything. Hey, put it on paper and clean up the wording if you need to. And so this way you get organized. Okay. I have a couple of Let's dig deeper in step three questions for you, Jerry. Sure, let's do it. Yeah. (laughs) The first thing I thought of when you were talking was, wow, now I see why it's so important to have that vision. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. big on visualizing things that I want to have happen anyway. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about putting it down on paper and getting rid of the frivolous things, Mm -hmm. unless you've really taken time to determine how do you want this to end for you, Mm -hmm. it might be difficult to articulate Mm -hmm. what it is you're really needing to address. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. You have to, you have to make this as concrete and tangible as possible. Otherwise it's not going to stick. And then the second thing I was wondering was, and then do you ever take that list and cross check it with someone else first? (laughs) I mean, or, you know what I'm saying? Like here you are, you're maybe a, a student Mm -hmm. needing to have a difficult conversation with your faculty. Do you ever suggest running it by another student and kind of making sure you've got all your ducks in a row? Or maybe this is a difficult conversation you need to have with a spouse. Maybe you run it by your best friend. Oh, yeah, I think that's a great idea. I mean, you have to be careful. I'd say on one hand, yeah, fresh set of eyes. Absolutely. Maybe maybe they catch something. You say, hey, you know what? This line, it sounds like subtweeting. Maybe you take that out and just have to be careful whose opinion you get. You want to get someone maybe who's been in a similar situation or you get someone with entirely fresh eyes that has no frame of reference, right? Both have their benefits. But yeah, to go in and think that you have, your, you have everything figured out about the situation, 
one analogy I heard recently that I liked is like, if you're in the jar, you can't read what's on the label. And I just think that's, you know, that's, that's a funny way, but uh, an effective way of saying that, uh, yeah, getting another pers- uh, person's perspective can help you. And at the same time, don't settle for that because a lot of people do that and they just want to talk about the problem with enough people. And then, you know, after enough opinions, it's like, well, what are you going to do? Right. At the end of the day, you still have to do something. Okay. So I love that recognition that you're bringing up that sometimes maybe wanting to vet it with multiple people could potentially be a procrastination technique. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, Oh, let me just get some more research. It's like, Hmm. The entrepreneur mindset, right? As long as you have enough data to act on, you still have to act on it, right? Yeah. And I also love that you bring up, be careful whose opinion you're seeking, Mm -hmm. because many of my guests have brought up, hey, not everyone's going to be on your side or have Mm -hmm. your best interests at heart. And so you really do need to be true to what it is you need out of this conversation and maybe... For lack of a better phrase, take some feedback or other people's opinions with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And, you know, if you just posted something like this on the internet and said, okay, Facebook Hive, I want to know how I should handle the situation, right? And you're going to have at least one troll. So that's just going to be like, just blow it all up. And, you know, it's just like, okay, this isn't helpful. And there's a great quote that says, don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from. Don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from. Wow. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. Okay. So here we are. We've got our list. We've Mm -hmm. read it over. We've crossed out the things that are Mm -hmm. not relevant, not going to bring us towards our vision. Mm -hmm. And then what's next? Next step is to rehearse those moves. Yeah, we, we're in an academic setting, but it's, leadership isn't learned by, you know, getting all the answers right on a multiple choice test. Leadership is very much real time. You are in the arena fighting. So you got to train in the dojo first. And that's why rehearsing your critical moves is this uh, key next step, because it's one thing to just list all your stuff off verbally, right? Verbatim. Oh yeah, I memorized all my things. Okay. If you go off script, will you still be able to, you know, communicate the essence of what you're trying to communicate? And so this is where you want to spar, you know, this is where your friend can role play. Hey, I need to ask for a raise from this boss. Can you play my boss and see how he might push back as to why my request might be unreasonable? Or in academic settings, hey, how do I tell my student that the work here, you know, I, I, I don't question his effort, but it's not getting the results that he intended or his style isn't aligning with the rest of the team. How do I say these things and make sure, hey, you know what? You want to get, you want to iron out all your mistakes now so that by the time the actual conversation comes, you've already kind of polished it, right? I love that role play idea. Mm. Role play can just take you out of your head because Mm -hmm. then you're there in the moment and maybe Mm -hmm. even practice if some emotions come up, practice managing them. If you have a good partner that you're sparring with, Mm -hmm. to use your kind of analogy there, and they're saying things that your boss or your student may say back to you. You can maybe even practice how you're emotionally responding and regulating triggers that may be happening for you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, practice in front of a mirror too, or have them observe you as they're giving this, this, this you know, script. Hey, you know, your, your posture is like hunched over. You don't communicate confidence at all. You sound really tentative when you're asking for that specific number. Why is that happening? And so when you are able to iron out this so that you don't get tripped up on them when the actual conversation comes, the better your chances of success. 
It really gives you that courage to overcome the fear of the conversation when you feel maybe a little bit rehearsed. I've never tried that. I, I mean, I'm, I love that I'm learning new things. Everything that you're saying, I'm thinking, of course, yeah, that makes sense. But if I really ask myself, but Heather, the last time you had a difficult conversation, did you really go through these steps? I have to be honest and say, no, I didn't. I mean, it's, it's true for anyone, really, because it's like you read something in a book and you're like, okay, well, that makes sense. And then it's like, did you apply it? It's like, well, no. It's like, well, you know, and there might be a, ch- a chance to, you know, explore why, where is that disconnect when on paper it makes sense. And at the same time, uh, the application is matching up with the knowledge. Yeah, the execution. So we role play, we're feeling comfortable, confident, mm-hmm. brave. What happens with that fifth step? Hey, just do it. Right. You've, you've come too far. You've done the research. You've rehearsed the conversation. You've envisioned what success could be. And for you to back out now, what's that going to cost you? Are you willing to settle for being resentful for another week or a month or, you know, three months because you decided that, hey, I like the idea of resolving this conflict more than actually having that closure. To use a quick, fun analogy, I knew a guy for a while who was complaining about being single. And then we'd ask him, well, what are you going to ask out a girl? And then he'd give all these excuses. And we'd ask him, well, do you want pity or do you want a girlfriend? Right. What do you want? Because it sounds like you're happy just to have pity and say, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, life is really unfair. How dare they not make this easy for you? Is that all you want with the conflict? Do you just want pity or do you want a resolution? And, you know, a lot of guests bring up this very basic, simple concept of sometimes you just need to do it, whatever it is we're talking about, Mm. sitting down and getting your tush in a chair to work on your research, Mm. meditating, whatever, whatever the task is at hand, there's this message, this theme of, come on, just do it. Mm. Now, what happens if you are in this situation and you have your courage and you're you're going for it and it just doesn't turn out well. Do you have any kind of like uh, rescue lifesaver tips? Oh yeah, here's the here's the bonus guys because this isn't included on the PDF that you get on my website. So this is uh, extra bonus tips. So number one, that's like the black box in a plane that crashes. You're just like, okay, let's look at the data. Hey, what happened? Okay, it kind of went off the rails when I started interrupting. Oh, that's a that's a common mistake, right? When people are listening to respond instead of listening to listen, I can guarantee you um, there's the right way to interrupt it, but it is never uh, wise in a conflict resolution situation, right? The best way to make sure that people stay emotionally centered and civil is by making sure you listen without interrupting. And so quick, that was a quick tangent, but the idea is, okay, what went wrong, right? Hey, I, I didn't entirely understand their side of the situation, okay? I didn't paraphrase what they were saying to make sure they felt like I was actually listening to them. Or I got too prescriptive after, even after doing all this correctly, I still went in with, well, thank you for sharing that, but I need this A, B, and C from you in order to really make this go ahead. So now you just look like a fraud because you, know, you took the time to hear their side of things and only to just completely disregard it. And so- What I hope people will understand, though, because this is something I had to realize for myself and all the regrets I've had and conflicts I just avoided, even if this fails, at least you got your honest thoughts out on the table, right? You can go home saying, hey, you know what? That didn't go anywhere close to what I wanted it to. But you know what? I can still feel good about the fact that they know exactly why I'm upset with them. Like, that's okay. Because now that we're honest with each other, 
now we can actually have a real relationship because, you know, if people are angry with you, it's not because they're lying about something, right? <laughs> they're angry with you. They're being honest about what they're angry about. And so number one for me, because I think about the failures I've had just trying to have these conversations. And yeah, number one is celebrate the fact that you tried. Hey, you know what? I did something really uncomfortable and it went terribly, but you know what? It's more progress than I've ever made. And then number two, okay, let's study it. Hey, how could we have done this better? Where were the critical points where the train ran off the tracks? And what are some ideas that we could use or generate so the train stays on the track? And so when you frame failure as a learning moment, this is not new information. We've all heard this, but this is especially relevant now. Hey, the only way I would get better at conflict is if I failed at it more often. And not just to fail for yes. failure's sake, but to fail and evaluate and adjust. And hey, you know what? Now I'm coaching people on it. I don't know when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it fits right into that idea of failure is feedback. Mm -hmm. If you take it as feedback, you can learn from it and practice. Yeah, it is. It's the story around failure is really the biggest, one of the biggest turning points for me. Failure used to be, oh, you're incompetent. You shouldn't be trusted. And how dare you? Now, failure is simply saying, hey, you know what? You're going to learn from this more than you ever had if you succeeded at it. Because yes, successes are nice. And unless you're intentional about really evaluating, well, how can we still build on this? You're not going to learn a lot from success. And even if that's, even if you did learn a lot, you're still going to learn a lot more from failure. And that is such a hard lesson to embrace, mm. isn't it? Yeah. As a human, where we're told story after story about how important it is mm. to achieve and draw inside the lines and all those things. So you mentioned a PDF. I'm going to link to this in the show notes. Uh, yeah, a simple framework for navigating difficult conversations or something to that effect. Yeah, and so um, everything we went over, if the listeners are going, oh, I needed a pen, I'm out on my walk, or I'm, mm -hmm. I'm driving to the grocery store, you yeah. can get this download and go over those five steps. And then you gave some bonus tips. Yeah which were great. I love the no interrupting. Always nice to remind yourself to just mm -hmm. listen. Yep. But we were talking before the show and you shared one of your favorite quotes with me that I'm hoping you'll share with the audience. Oh yeah, absolutely. Einstein's full of great quotes. And the one I'll share here is that imagination is more important than knowledge because on one hand, you know, I gave you some great knowledge to build a foundation on. And it is how you get creative in applying those principles and making this really your own voice that's really going to yield transformation and see things right in ways that you're going to, you guys are going to improv off this in ways I could never imagine. And I think that's what makes it so beautiful because on one hand, they say, oh yeah, that I recognize this framework. Like this is Jerry's and yet you guys have made it your own. And I think that's what's going to be the most exciting part about seeing how people take this knowledge and apply it in ways completely inventive and, you know, show that creativity is, is something that can't be duplicated. Well, Jerry, thank you so much for your time today. And before we sign off, I would love for you to tell people how they could get a hold of you if they'd like to work with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Check out the website, www.adaptingleaders.com. Again, the PDF is there for download. Just submit your email address and it'll come right to you. You can also schedule a complimentary 30 minute call to share your story or a situation you want help with if you just want a free sample. And then there's also a blog where you can read summaries 
uh, of interesting and useful leadership literature, along with other life hacks that I occasionally post on there. So www.adaptingleaders.com. Jerry, thank you so much for being on today's show. You're very welcome. Uh, Happy to be here. Happy to get to meet you and other fun podcast hosts that are doing some great work in the world. Thanks for listening. And I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode. Until then, I'm wishing you more joy in your journey. If you love listening to the Happy Doc Student Podcast, would you mind supporting me? The best way you can do this is by sharing your favorite episodes with a friend or two. Episodes are available on most podcast directories, my YouTube channel, and website, expandyourhappy.com. To make it easy, I'll pop these links in the show notes below. Hey, one more thing, just a quick reminder that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. 